Hello, everybody, and welcome back to How to Adapt into Canon. It's been a while since part one, where we talked about Darth Bane, Path of Destruction. In this video, we are going to be talking about one of my favorite Star Wars books of all time, Darth Bane, The Rule of Two. We're going to be diving into all of that, mostly focused on the main story. But before we do so, please hit that like button below. Subscribe to the channel for Star Wars content minimum three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We're also posting shorts now on all the days we don't post a video. So you're going to want to stay tuned for all of that Star Wars content. We kind of have seven videos a week going now. So you'll want to check all of that out. Subscribe and comment below and let us know what you thought of this video and what you think of all the other videos. Let me know which other books you want to see adapted in the canon. I will be doing Darth Bane, Dynasty of Evil next, and I will actually be doing Kenobi in May. But after that, I'm wide open. So let me know which books you would like to see talked about on a how to adapt video. So this video is going to be a little different than the other one. In fact, it's going to be very different than the other videos that I've done for Path of Destruction and the original Thrawn trilogy. So if you watched how to adapt for those two videos, you know that I usually start these videos out with in-depth breakdown of all the canon planets, locations, items, characters that are in these books that are also in canon and kind of compare and contrast the two versions so that we're able to find kind of a happy medium between canon and legends so we can look at what is in canon and then take the legend stuff and try to fit as much of it as possible, stay as faithful to the legend source material as possible that canon allows us to and kind of marry the two together to create the ultimate version of what we want to see from all this. Well, with the rule of two, similar to how Path of Destruction was, the rule of two doesn't feature too many things that are in canon. Still, this is a very wholly original story that can fit directly in canon. Basically, it could be adapted one-to-one, -one, except for some of the changes I talked about in the first part in the Path of Destruction video. So if you want to check that video out, I go in-depth into Darth Bane himself, I also go into the High Republic timeline and how that has changed the overall outlook we have on the Old Republic timeline, especially because now it's confirmed that Darth Bane existed in 1000 BBY. Part two is mainly going to be focused on the story. There is one thing, though, I want to talk about. One planet, one location that is very important in this book and also has become really important into canon, and that is... In canon, Tython is one of the key worlds of the ancient Jedi. Tython has appeared in the Dr. Aphra comic series from 2016, but most notably it served as the location that Din Djarin took Grogu to on the advice of former Jedi Ahsoka Tano. It was on Tython while sitting on the scene stone in the ruins of an ancient Jedi temple, Grogu made contact with Luke Skywalker. As we can see, Tython is gradually becoming a bigger part of Star Wars canon, but its role in Legends is still far bigger and more important as it served as the location where the Jedi Order was formed before it split into the Jedi Order and the Sith. In Darth Bane, the Rule of Two, Tython is the location of a climactic lightsaber duel between Bane, Sana, Master Farfalla, and Johan Othon's Jedi Contingent. It's also the location of the Dark Side Acolyte Hetan's secret storehouse of Sith artifacts and antiquities. So Tython's really the only planet with a significant canon appearance that appears in Darth Bane, the Rule of Two, while also playing a significant role in the Rule of Two. As you can see here, here's a list of other characters, locations, planets, and items that are big in the Rule of Two, but don't really play an important role in canon. So they basically could all be directly adapted, and some of which aren't even in canon yet, but are kind of inferred to be in canon, like Darth Xana is not technically a canon character but has been referred to multiple times okay so that's already it for the world of darth bane the rule of two and the characters of this book 
We're going to move now on into the adapted story. And this time, like I said, it's going to be a lot uh, more cinematic, I would say. A lot more like a real Star Wars audiobook. Hope you guys all enjoy it. Thanks for watching. And I'll see you at the end of the video. To there shall be no more, no less. One to embody the power, the other to crave it. Upon leaving the cave where the Thought Bomb destroyed the Brotherhood of Darkness and Jedi Lord Hoth, Bane comes across two children, a boy and a girl, hiding in the trees near what was the site of the Brotherhood's camp outside the cave. Bane confronts them and learns that they are both prospective Jedi younglings whose master was called into the Seventh Battle of Rusan with no time to deliver them to the Jedi Temple on Coruscant. When the Jedi reinforcements finally broke the Sith blockade, their ship was shot down and their master was killed, sensing the innate force abilities lying within them. Bane saw fit to provide them with a test. Bane philosophizes about the teachings of the dark side to the two children as he takes them to the cave. He learns the two children are cousins, but it's the boy known as Tomcat that intrigues Bane with his surprisingly mature insight and line of questioning on the subjects Bane proposes. The girl Rain says nothing, but Bane notices the role of attentive observer in her demeanor, a role he masterly had performed during his resurgence at the Sith Academy on Korriban. Bane, Tomcat, and Rain arrive at the cave, where Bane sends the two children in first to face their trial. Tomcat and Rain enter the mouth of the cave and make their way through until they arrive at the floating remains of the Thought Bomb's epicenter. Bane goads the children into putting their hands on the amorphous, levitating energy. They do so, and with agonizing screams, a swell of force energy fills the cave and what was left of the Thought Bomb dissipates. Tomcat and Rain are thrown to the ground, visions of the horrors of the Thought Bomb still consuming their minds. Bane creeps forward to inspect the children. Suddenly, Tomcat springs to his feet, removes a lightsaber that was hidden beneath his robe, and ignites it in front of Bane. Tomcat, emotionally devastated, calls Bane a monster for what he has done. Both amused by Tomcat's rage and disappointed in his failure to acknowledge the power in Bane's actions, Bane ignites his own lightsaber. Tomcat charges at Bane when suddenly his hand explodes in a violent blast of force energy. Tomcat falls to his knees in agony as Bane turns to see his stone-faced Rain with her arm extended and the fury of power-hungry anger in her eyes. Rain drops to one knee pledging herself to the teachings of Lord Bane. Bane gives a sly smile. He may have just found his apprentice. Upon her pledge to the dark side, Rain introduces herself to Bane by her real name, Xana. She was barely ten years old, and her long blonde hair contrasted with the dark energy that surrounded her. Bane acknowledged Xana's pledge and accepted her as his first apprentice in what would begin the rule of two. Bane turned to the still agonizing Tomcat and ignited his lightsaber once again to end the boy's life. When Xana intervened, she logically pleaded with Bane, attempting to persuade the Sith Lord that Tomcat's death would serve little purpose and be unworthy of her master's blade. Bane saw through Xana's attempt to spare her cousin's life, but he still acknowledged the futility in killing Tomcat. He lectures Xana about the need for the Sith to feed off the suffering of other beings, then tells her that this will be the last kindness she will receive from him. Xana locks eyes with Tomcat, gives him a pitiful look, then exits the cave with Bane. Bane and Xana walk to Bane's ship, the Valsian. Bane informs his new apprentice that he's headed to Duxon, one of the moons of Onderon, to locate the tomb of the ancient Sith Lord, Freedon Nod. Xana, however, would not be coming with him. As his second test for his young Sith apprentice, she would need to find a way off Rusan alone and meet him on Onderon in ten days' time. Bane then boards the Valsian and heads off-world. Meanwhile, across what was the destruction of the Seventh Battle of Rusan, the Jedi begin to withdraw their army off Rusan. 
In the wake of the detonation of the thought bomb, Jedi Master Valentine Farfalla still felt an uneasiness about the Sith's desperate self-destruction. He suspected there was more to the Sith's final action than met the eye. However, with the pressure from Coruscant to move past Rusan and into a new golden age of the Republic under the leadership of Tarsus Valorum, whose family house was prestigious for their mass production of starships, Farfalla oversaw the withdrawal of Republic forces and left Rusan. Shortly after, Farfalla and most of the Jedi forces withdrew from their forward command center on Rusan. Xana made her way across the scorched battlefield and into what remained of the Republic camp. There were still many Republic shuttles preparing to evacuate Rusan refugees. Xana sneaks her way into the crowd of the refugees. She steals a blaster from a supply crate and then boards the shuttle. Once the shuttle is in space, she intends to take it hostage and force the pilot to take her to Onderon. Her plan goes awry as one of the refugees notices the blaster Xana is trying to conceal in her robes. The refugee attempts to wrestle the blaster from Xana when it accidentally goes off and kills him. Momentarily stunned, Xana is taken to the ground by one of the Republic soldiers on board. In a moment of fear and anger, Xana unleashes a wave of force energy, knocking everyone on board to the floor. Xana gets up and grabs a blaster and kills the downed soldiers. She threatens to do the same to any refugees that try to stop her. She then makes her way to the pilot's cabin and forces the pilot to set course for Onderon. Xana kills the pilot, then locks herself in the cabin. During his flight, Bane was starting to feel some lingering effects from his proximity to the thought bomb when it detonated. He hallucinates the voice of Khan, Cordis, and Githany as they goad and taunt him posthumously. When he lands on Duxon, the voices begin to fade as Bane is fueled by a sudden swell of dark energy. From his studies on Exegol, Bane is able to locate Frieden Nod's tomb. He's primarily in search of one thing, Nod's Sith Holocron, one of the missing holocrons from the Sith throne on Exegol. Bane enters the tomb and locates Nod's sarcophagus. He approaches it, and upon opening it, he's attacked by parasitic creatures known as Orbalisks. The parasites lock themselves to Bane's body, making themselves impossible for Bane to remove. In enormous pain, Bane searches the sarcophagus and finds Nod's holocron. Bane unlocks it and begins to consume Nod's knowledge. In the holocron, Nod also describes his own experiments with Orbalisks, revealing that they feed off dark side energy from their host, causing relentless, excruciating pain as they multiply across their host's body over time. In exchange, the Orbalisks do grant their host significant regenerative abilities, and their impenetrable outer shell acts as a shield against every weapon, including lightsabers. Satisfied with the new knowledge he obtained in Nod's tomb, Bane reboards his ship and heads to Onderon on the tenth day since he left Xana on Rusan. When he arrives on the planet, Bane is slightly surprised to see that Xana is already there. She boards the Valsin and leaves the planet with him to truly begin her training. Ten years have passed since the Seventh Battle of Rusan. In an attempt to put the centuries of war between the Jedi and Sith behind them, the Republic passes legislation that will demilitarize the Jedi and transition them to the role of keepers of the peace rather than soldiers. In the wake of this legislation, many Jedi Lords leave the Order preferring to maintain their wealth and status on the planets they control rather than rejoin the Order on Coruscant. Caught in the middle of the political turmoil is Master Farfalla, who both sees the need for the Jedi to return to their core ideals, but also fears the return of the Sith. Even though he recognizes the need to move on, Farfalla leads a movement in the Senate to commission a monument to be built on Rusan, which became known as the Valley of the Jedi to honor Lord Hoth and all those who fell during the battle that destroyed the Brotherhood of Darkness. Every so often, Farfalla's fears are fueled by passing rumors of continued Sith existence. Farfalla has internally urged the Jedi Council to secretly follow up on these rumors. However, with continued political pressure from the Supreme Chancellor to leave the Sith in the past, Farfalla has found himself with fewer and fewer allies on Coruscant. 
Farfalla's fears have not been unfounded, of course, as during the last decade, Bane has trained Xana to become an immensely powerful Sith apprentice. Xana has particularly become adept at the use of Sith sorcery, a field of dark side manipulation that Bane had dabbled in, but Xana had truly become a master of. Xana had also matured into a beautiful young woman. Currently, she was using that beauty to infiltrate a group of Separatist insurgents on Sereno, on the orders of her master. Through careful manipulation, Xana goads the Sereno Separatists into devising a plot to kidnap Supreme Chancellor Valorum during his upcoming visit to Sereno. Meanwhile, Bane has made his home camp on the planet Exegol to continue his research into the secrets of the ancient Sith. While Xana is on her mission, Bane has worked tirelessly to create his own Sith holocron. The orbalisks attached to Bane's skin have multiplied over these last 10 years and now cover nearly his entire body. The severe, endless pain the parasites inflict on Bane's body have made him far less in control of his own power. Multiple times during his failure to construct his holocron, he has lashed out and left everything in his camp in ruins. Xana fears that her master might slowly be becoming unhinged by the orbalisks. His distance and desire for isolation makes her wary of her future role as his apprentice. Back on Sereno, Xana's separatists have moved forward with their plot to kidnap Chancellor Valorum. The complexity of Xana's plan of attack and her quick rise through the ranks of the separatists' chain of command attract the attention of the separatists' financial backer, who sends some of his agents to confront Xana in her home. In order to preserve her disguise, Xana agrees to come with the agents who take her to meet a middle-aged man named Hetton. Upon meeting Xana, Hetton is able to confirm her identity as a user of the dark side. He reveals to Xana that he's an acolyte of the Sith himself, and brags about his past training. He begins to question Xana about her loyalties and her past with the dark side. Xana refuses to answer Hetton's questions and resists the attempts to probe her mind for secrets. Still believing he has the upper hand, Hetton orders his agents to execute Xana, forcing her to reveal the full extent of her powers as she dispatches Hetton's agents with her lightsaber. When she turns her blade toward Hetton, he begins to understand who she truly is. Hetton falls to a knee and pleads with Xana to spare his life. He tells Xana of a large collection of Sith artifacts and explains to her that his deceased master had an even larger storehouse of Sith antiquities on the planet Tython. He promises Xana he can be of use to her as he also inherited command of a group of loyal Umbaran shadow assassins. He promises to pledge himself and all of his resources to her bidding. Xana considers Hetton's pleas and chooses to spare his life. The Orbalisks had driven Bane mad. Maybe it was time for the apprentice to become the master. Bane felt Xana's presence as her ship landed back on Exegol. She was back too early, had her plan failed. As her ship lands, Bane comes to meet her. However, there is a disturbance he can't pinpoint coming from her ship. When Xana exits her ship, Bane questions her about the plan to kidnap the Chancellor. As Xana starts to explain what went wrong, Bane's concentration shifts. They are not alone. Her mouth moves, but Bane hears nothing she says. There are dark presences all around him, but he can see nothing. He closes his eyes embraces the excruciating pain of the orbalisks and in one quick motion ignites his lightsaber and throws it as hard as he can to his right. It makes contact with someone invisible and flies back to Bane's hand. The facade of the cloaking shield that previously made one of the eight Umbaran shadow assassins invisible disappears as the assassin falls to the ground in two pieces. Time stands still for a couple of seconds. Then Xana reaches out with a force and pushes Bane backwards as he crashes hard into the dirt. Immediately the assassins are on Bane, as their energy weapons ignite and their strikes pierce the front of Bane's robes, but the orbalisks protect him from any bodily harm. With an angry roar, Bane ignites his lightsaber and disposes the two assassins in front of him. With a blind fury, Bane slashes and deflects from all sides. He takes out the remaining assassins, and all that remain are Hetton and Xana. Two charge Bane, who goes on the defensive parrying their attacks. 
Eventually, Bane gains the upper hand. He incapacitates Xana, then turns on Hetman, killing him with a brutal strike. Bane challenges Xana, taunting her for her failures. Xana holds her own for a few strikes, but soon is disarmed by Bane. Standing over her, Xana takes responsibility for her failures, playing into Bane's ego and promising him Hetman's storehouse on Tython. Bane considers it for a moment, but ultimately accepts, hoping the storehouse will hold the secrets Bane needs to create his own Sith holocron. He also chooses to spare Xana's life, choosing instead to send her on an undercover mission to the Jedi Temple on Coruscant in order to find information that could help him unlock the secret to creating his holocron and removing the Orbalisks from his body once and for all. Back on Sereno, the Separatists still decide to put Xana's plan into motion without her, but their attempt to kidnap the Chancellor is easily thwarted by his Jedi guards led by Master Farfalla. As a show of his thanks for Farfalla's protection, Chancellor Valorum finally agrees to support the build to build a monument for the fallen Jedi on Rusan. Construction of the Valley of the Jedi was underway on Rusan as the build to build the monument for the Lord Hoth's fallen army had passed in the Senate. However, construction of the monument had recently been halted multiple times due to repeated acts of vandalism at the construction site. As the Jedi who lobbied hardest for the construction of the monument, Master Farfalla traveled back to Rusan to investigate. Farfalla hid in the construction site and eventually the Vandal appeared. To Farfalla's surprise, there was only a single Vandal, a man of average height garbed in a dark brown robe who walked using a staff for balance. Farfalla confronted the Vandal and expected him to put up a more dangerous fight. It was only after Farfalla apprehended the man that he noticed the man only had one hand. Farfalla interrogated the Vandal who revealed his name was Daravit. He admitted to his crimes, claiming the monument to the Jedi was not welcome on Rusan, as it served to remind the locals of a time they'd rather forget. Farfalla began to question where Daravit's allegiances lied during the war, but Daravit flew into a frenzied state at Farfalla's first mention of the Sith. Daravit explained that as much as he disliked the Jedi, his hatred for the Sith was stronger tenfold. It was then that he recounted his final meeting with the Sith, when his cousin Rain turned on him, destroying his hand and choosing to side with the man responsible for the Thought Bomb. Farfalla was stunned. He couldn't believe what he was hearing. A Sith lived? His worst fears had been realized. With some convincing and the promise of the decommission of the Valley of the Jedi, Farfalla persuaded Daravid to return with him to Coruscant. He needed to let the galaxy know the Sith were back. Xana arrived on Coruscant disguised in Jedi robes. Using her Sith sorcery, she was able to cast a spell that would mask her connection to the dark side of the Force. She easily infiltrated the Jedi Temple and made her way to the Temple Archives. She sat at one of the computer terminals and began her search for answers pertaining to Sith holocrons. To the chagrin of most of its members, the Council had agreed to take the meeting with Farfalla regarding Daravid's claims of the Sith's continued existence, two days after Farfalla returned to Coruscant. Furious about the Council's inaction, Farfalla took Daravid to the temple immediately with the intention to force an emergency meeting regarding the issue. Farfalla stormed into the Council chamber, leaving Daravid in the temple archives to wait for the confirmation of the Council's emergency meeting. Even though Daravid had grown resentful of the Jedi over the years, he couldn't help but be absolutely amazed by the Jedi Temple's grandeur. It was truly everything he had always imagined and more. Not content to sit around and wait for the bureaucratic red tape to clear, Daravid began to wander through the archives. He sat down at one of the computer terminals and began doing some quick research. He was amazed by the sheer amount of knowledge the Jedi had available to them. He looked around, again taking in the giant glowing blue holographic stacks when something caught his eye. Or rather, someone. She was a female Jedi. Blonde, in her early twenties, beautiful but with a dark intense look in her eyes. No hint of the pandering compassion that he saw in all the other Jedi he passed by. He couldn't quite pinpoint what it was about her, but he had to meet her. He rose from his chair, approached her, and then it hit him. Rain. 
Xana couldn't believe that the Jedi had this much knowledge readily available to them whenever they wanted. Even Bane himself would have been impressed. She was quickly able to find everything she was looking for. Information on Sith holocrons, Sith history, and the Orbalisks were all here for the taking. Bane really had convinced them the Sith were extinct. She gained a newfound pleasure in the knowledge that one day, she and Bane would make them suffer for their arrogance. Xana finished up her research when she sensed someone watching her. The Watcher now began to approach her. She tensed, ready to leap into action if her Sith spell had failed her, but she sensed no real danger. She stood up and saw the man, average height, dark hair, and ratty brown robes, using a large cane for stability, and only one hand. They met eyes, and what she heard him say shocked her. Rain. The immediate shock of seeing Tomcat again started to fade. Xana recomposed herself, but she had no doubt that with her sudden loss of focus, her hold on the spell may have slipped. She had to get out of the temple before the Jedi figured out who she was. Before she could leave, however, she needed to know why Darovit was here. She reached into his fragile mind and discovered the truth. Darovit, with what little connection to the Force still remained in him, felt Xana's dark touch on his mind, and he knew that she knew. In a low but threatening tone, Xana commands Darovit to come with her. Darovit, reminded of the consequences of crossing Xana by one look at what was his hand, complies with Xana's request. Xana feels the eyes on them from all around as she and Darovit exit the temple, but eventually they make their way back to Xana's ship. Next, she had to get to Typhon. She had to warn Bane. Farfalla returns to the temple archives to inform Darovit that the council will see him but Darovit is nowhere to be found. Farfalla frantically searches the archives, asking the other Jedi if they had seen him. One of them points Farfalla in the direction of the computer terminals, but there's still no Darovit. After asking about Darovit to some of the other Jedi studying at the terminals, Farfalla is informed that Darovit left the archives a short time before with a blonde female Jedi student. Farfalla is pointed to the location of the terminal Xana was using. In Xana's rush to flee the temple with Darovit, she had forgotten to erase her searches. Subsequently, Farfalla saw everything. Sith holocrons, Tython, Orbalisks. Convinced now more than ever the Sith still lived, Farfalla stormed back to the council chambers and requested a group of Jedi be dispatched under his command to hunt the Sith down. The council acquiesced to his request, and Farfalla was headed to Tython to end the Sith once and for all. Bane arrived on Tython the day before and already he had learned so much. With the information available to him in Hedden's storehouse, Bane was finally able to crack the code and create his own holocron. Bane restlessly devoured the new knowledge available to him in the storehouse, but was interrupted by Xana's unexpectedly early arrival on Tython with Darovit. At first, Bane was enraged when he saw Xana had brought another outsider to one of their secret meeting places, but once Xana explained everything to Bane, he saw the severity of their situation. Bane and Xana began to gather everything they could from the storehouse, but they were too late. The Jedi had arrived. Farfalla saw the two starships parked in front of what appeared to be a large cave, and he immediately felt an intense swell of dark side energy, unlike anything he had felt in over a decade, not since the final days on Rusal. Farfalla landed his shuttle down near the entrance to the cave, then he and four other Jedi, two masters and two knights, disembarked. They entered the cave and soon realized it was much more than it initially appeared to be. The dark side felt stronger and stronger with each passing step. The end of the cave entrance opened up, and that's when they saw him. Bane stood ready and waiting in the middle of the main room of the storehouse. He was tired of hiding. The endless, immense pain of the Orbalisks had driven him to the brink. And now, he wanted blood. As the Jedi created an attack formation around Bane, he reached within himself, using his rage to unleash a massive wave of dark side energy. Two of the Jedi flew backwards, 
and Bane was immediately on the others. His attacks were ferocious as he forced the other three Jedi back. He backed them into a corner, wheeled around kicking one of them aside before following up his kick with a sudden burst of force lightning which he used to drive a parrying Varfala backwards, creating a solo duel between himself and the third Jedi. The Jedi stood no chance. A few quick strikes from Bane and he was finished. The other two Jedi Bane had knocked down at the beginning of the fight got back on their feet. They began to charge towards Bane, resuming battle with Farfalla and one of the other Jedi Masters. Immediately, they were cut off from the fight as Xana, who had just appeared after escorting Darovit to a safe hiding place, leapt in front of the Jedi, igniting both red blades with her double-sided lightsaber. The Jedi quickly sprang into action, forcing Xana to go on the defensive. She dodged and parried their attacks, but soon found herself in an ideal position for a counterattack. Xana parried one more unified strike from the two Jedi, leapt backwards and used the wall to bounce over their heads twisting mid-air and striking. Her attack was lightning fast, and the younger of the two Jedi wasn't ready for it. Xana's blade decapitated him instantly. The second Jedi dropped her defenses ever so briefly as she glanced at the headless remains of her former friend, leaving the slightest of openings. Fortunately, Xana was ready. With a wave of her fingers, Xana reached out with the force and chanted in a low, ghostly voice. The Jedi dropped to her knees and screamed in agony. Meanwhile, Bane's opponents had more than stood their ground against him. They worked in perfect unison, parrying his blows and landing strikes against them that would have been lethal had he not been armored by the Orbalisks. Bane used his invulnerability to his advantage, though, keeping his focus on relentless attacks rather than worrying about blocking or parrying the Jedi. As Bane and the Jedi locked blades into a short, forceful clash, the screams that the Jedi's Xana had under her spell momentarily shifted the Jedi's attention. Bane used this distraction to turn his attention on Farfalla, the obvious leader of the Jedi Band, striking at him wildly and driving him back. Farfalla shouted at the other Jedi Master to go and save the Hex Jedi while he handled Bane. The stunned Jedi Master shook off her momentary shock, then charged at Xana. Xana had been counting on this, using her spell purely as a ploy to lure one of the Jedi off of Bane. With a twist of her fingers, Xana snapped the neck of the Hex Jedi quickly refocusing herself on the Jedi about to strike her down, and spun out of her position, twisting around as she ignited her lightsaber and caught the charging Jedi by the leg with a blade. Xana stood over her victim and landed the finishing blow. There was nothing between Bane and Farfalla. Every powerful strike Bane unleashed was met with a flawless block or parry, but Bane raged on, the bloodlust of the Orbalisk toxins fueling him. Eventually, Bane caught Farfalla by surprise with a powerful punch they got while their blades were tied in a deadlock. Seen an opening, Bane roared, unleashing a massive wave of force lightning with both hands. Farfalla barely got his lightsaber up in time to block, but Bane kept pouring the attack on. Farfalla wasn't able to hold on much longer. Then, out of the corner of his eye, he saw the glint of one of the fallen Jedi's lightsaber hilts flickering in the light of the Force lightning. Farfalla reached out with the Force, called the lightsaber to him, ignited it, and with everything he had, willed the Force to his blades, pushing against Bane's attack and redirecting it back at him. The reflected lightning caught Bane by surprise. It engulfed him, finding what few spots of his body were left open from the Orbalisk protection, and frying his skin before echoing from those gaps throughout the rest of his body as the lightning filled the cracks between his flesh and the Orbalisks themselves, turning his entire being into one giant conductor. Bane released his attack, and Farfalla dropped his defense, exhausted from the effort. Both Bane and the Orbalisks were fried, and the Orbalisks were beginning to die, and as they did so one by one, they released their deadly toxins into Bane's body. A new, even more agonizing pain filled every fiber of Bane's body. It fueled him with one last animalistic cry, as he ignited his lightsaber and struck Farfalla down with one final vicious blow. Xana watched in awe as the fight between the two incredible duelists finally ended. Bane collapsed, and Xana ran over to him. She felt the force straining from him. He was dying. This was what she wanted though, wasn't it? 
Now she could step into the role of master. She dismissed the thought. Physically, she might be able to become Bane's equal with a bit more training, but Bane possessed an unparalleled knowledge that she couldn't begin to hope to achieve without him. It was obvious that Bane was imperative to her ambitions to becoming a truly worthy Sith Master, but she couldn't heal him. Quickly, she ran to Darvit, whom she had locked away in a room before the fight, and demanded he use his abilities as a healer to mend Bane. Darvit agreed to help Bane, but told Xana he didn't have the supplies nor the medicine to heal the Dark Lord on Tython. That's when it struck Xana. She had recalled the story Bane had told her of a miraculous healer on Umbria, named Caleb, who had once healed him from poisoning ten years ago. Xana gathered Bane and Darvit to her ship and made way towards Umbria. Xana found the homestead of the healer Caleb and rushed Bane to his hut. When Caleb saw Bane again, he immediately refused to help, explaining that he had sent his daughter off-world ten years ago so that if Bane ever returned for help, he'd have nothing to threaten him with. Xana tried everything to convince the healer to heal Bane's wounds, from torture threats to piles of credits. The healer refused all her pleas. Caleb was a compassionate man, though, and against his better judgment, he agreed to help Xana under one single condition that she would report herself and her location to the Republic, and that she and Bane would turn themselves in. Xana reluctantly agreed, and Caleb got to work. After working tirelessly on Bane through the night, Caleb was able to use the information Xana had gathered on the Orbalisks and Orbalisk Venom from the Jedi Temple to save Bane's life, removing both the Orbalisks and the Orbalisk Toxin from Bane's body. However, Bane was still incredibly weak and in no condition to move. The Jedi were on their way with a much greater force than before on Tython, and she knew she couldn't take them all at once. She could kill Caleb and flee with Bane, but her master was in no condition to be on the run. They'd be hunted in every spaceport on every planet across the entire galaxy. Darvit, seeing her in distress, tried to comfort her, suggesting maybe it was better if she turned herself in, recalling times when they were young, with dreams of becoming noble Jedi Knights. Xana faked amusement in Darvit's reminiscing, but she didn't know what to do, and she was running out of time. The next morning, multiple shuttles of Jedi Republic forces landed on Umbria near Caleb's hut. They created a perimeter around the area, disabled Xana's ship, and slowly began to approach the hut. As they got closer, they noticed a body, or what was left of a body, chopped up by a lightsaber and lying in the dirt. The Jedi reached for their weapons, as they heard a savage shriek from within the hut. They ignited their lightsabers and stood their ground. They called to the hut, and offered their assistance. But then a one-armed man, dressed in black Sith robes, hysterically charged at them, wielding a brilliant golden saber that belonged to Master Farfalla. The Jedi stood their ground. They dodged and parried the Sith blows before their overwhelming numbers ended his life once and for all. The Jedi searched the hut and found signs of a struggle. It appeared the Manic Sith Lord fled Tython after he killed the five Jedi led by Farfalla, then came to Umbria hoping to receive healing from Caleb the Healer before torturing and killing the Healer in a fit of madness. After some more searching of the area and the Sith ship, the Jedi breathed a sigh of relief. They'd finally ended the Sith threat once and for all. That night, the Jedi finally left Umbria, and Xana could lift her Sith spell. She crawled out from the hidden room underneath Caleb's hut, and got Bane into a proper bed to finish his healing. After she moved Bane back to Caleb's bed, Bane awoke for the first time since his Orbalisks had been removed. He was in too much pain to move, but his mind was immediately acute. Bane asked Xana what had happened, and Xana recounted her plan to drive Darvid insane with her sorcery, and frame him as the Sith who had killed Caleb and the Jedi while she hid Bane and herself in Caleb's secret room under the hut, where Caleb once tried to hide his daughter from Bane, masking their presence with her Sith sorcery. Bane considered her plan, and gave her his approval, admitting he underestimated her, but then asked the most important question. Why did she save him? Xana turns to look at Bane, and says exactly what he wants to hear. You still have much to teach me. I will continue to study at your feet, Master. I will learn from your wisdom. I will discover your secrets, unlocking them one by one until everything you know. All your knowledge and all your power is mine, and once you are no longer of use to me, I will destroy you. 
One day I will surpass you, and on that day I will kill you, Lord Bane, but that day is not today. Thank you so much for watching this episode of How to Adapt into Canon. Stay tuned for part three coming later this month, which will cover Dynasty of Evil, which does have a couple of more canon connections that we can more fully flesh out than Rule of Two does. Please check out all of our other content. We've had a lot of stuff about LEGO Star Wars The Skywalker Saga. you want to check all of that out as that game gets into full swing. If you haven't yet, please hit the like button down below, subscribe to the channel for Star Wars content three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and comment below and let me know what you thought of this video and which Legends books you would like to see adapted into canon in the future. Thank you so much for watching, and we'll see you next time.